kind of thing that says if you are with us, then everything is right. Yourself, because you are his wife. 
How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called out to the members of the household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. And then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then his master heard the words that the wife had spoken to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me. And he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all of the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. The word of the Lord. Thanks, God. So we have had a lot of birthdays this week in our community. Started out with Carly last Sunday, and then we had, uh, let's see, David. Jeez, that's David, David on Wednesday, turn 22. Uh, see, 23. I'm sorry, 23. 27. I'm, I'm going to take that year from him. 45. Um, 23. And then Zach, who's not in this room, I can use it with a kid, turned 35. And Chelsea Davis, who's coming back from the trip this morning, turned 30 on Friday. And then CJ turned four yesterday. So we have had a lot of birthdays. Did I miss any? Did anyone else have a birthday that I'm not aware of? Anyone else? Yesterday! Yesterday! Okay. Lots of birthdays. Well, I... Oh, my God. Is it your birthday, too? No. <laughs> your parents are calling you out on that. <laughs> David, he could throw you that thing could like you to flip you. Well, I overheard something really funny. Um, uh, David, we were singing to David, and uh, Michaela just walks, is walking by, and she's like, just uh, just a couple more years until your prefrontal cortex is developed, David. <laughs> so if you don't, if you don't know, your prefrontal cortex is like uh, the last part of your brain to develop, and it develops around age 25. And it's what's respons It's what is uh, the part of your brain that's responsible for rational thinking and long-term planning. That explains a lot. Yeah. So um, if you're under 25, just wait. No. I'm actually. Um, so I am 31. 
So my prefrontal cortex supposedly has been developed for a long time now, potentially five or six years, but I think that it's been a little bit consumed with like <coughs> caring for young children, and so um, it hasn't gotten to do some of the work that I think you know it typically would do. And so this week, actually, this week, I did something extremely brave and around long-term planning. I got on my computer. I got on Google. Jeez. And I looked up one of those retirement savings calculators. <laughs> and if you don't know how they work because your prefrontal cortex isn't developed yet, you put in your current age, uh, the amount of money you think that you need to make in retirement, the, the age you want to retire, and, get this, your age of death. And then, voila, it gives you this amount of money that you should save every month for the next 40 years. So there's a lot of brave things about this, and there's a lot of sort of, I don't know, um, humbling things about this and one of those things is that you kind of start to wish like that you die a little bit earlier so that you can like go to a movie now. <laughs> That's kind of an odd feeling because you're like oh, if I just die a little bit earlier then I can have a little more money in my budget. Um, yeah and then the other you know the other the other part is just uh, you know thinking about death and how you are just planning for your death and it's like 40 years of financial um, commitment in order to deteriorate and then die. So it's kind of a brave thing to do. Um, yeah, and overall, I mean, overall, I would say that it has been one part this week of kind of many pieces of my life where I've sort of felt out of control. Um, I was taking a medicine that I really didn't want to take this week that affected me in really weird ways. And there were just several parts of this week that just sort of left me um, feeling imprisoned and trapped and like I didn't want to be in this situation and yet like this is where I am it's sort of like the baseline the story um, that I have to work with and it was fully embodied on Friday night because we went out for Zach's birthday and we we kidnapped Zach and took him to the escape game. Uh, and we were locked in a prison cell. And then we had to figure out, it was the Alcatraz uh, one. And we had to, the base story is that you're locked in this prison cell and you have to figure out how to get out. And I was like, this is like, exactly how I'm feeling this week. <laughs> like, I'm trapped. Um, and, you know, I guess, um, 
I've just sort of been feeling down about a lot of the things that have been happening this week. And I think that it's a appropriate time to say like that that is a very, very common experience. And um, that to feel depressed and... Um, yeah, I would say that if I were to ask all of you all to be vulnerable today and raise your hand and say that if you have been depressed sometime this year, um, that you all would be surprised at how many of us experience depression. And with Joseph and the story of Joseph, we see that this um, experience of life sort of trapping us um, and feeling trapped uh, is pretty common, uh, not only just as people, but also for the people of God. And I think that that comes into contrast sometimes with our definitions of prosperity and what we think our life should be about as the people of God. But we can feel imprisoned, locked up, trapped. Uh, before this story happens, Joseph's uh, brothers betray him and throw him in a pit and would have killed him if it wasn't for one of his brothers sort of feeling bad, not for Joseph necessarily, but for his dad. Um, and there are all kinds of prisons in our lives too. There are prisons with bars, but there are also pits in the ground, and then there is slavery and uncertainty and insecurity and enemy, and we can feel trapped in our finances or in our schedules, or in our jobs, or in our families, or in our marriages, or in mental illness, or loneliness, or the story that we've been handed, or our own bodies, or our own addictions, or our living situations, because pits and jails and prisons are everywhere. And Joseph was a dreamer, and he isn't the only one. A better future, a better retirement experience, a better job, a better house. We're all dreamers too. But, uh, you know, Joseph found himself traveling to this foreign country after where he was living was literally he couldn't stay there. And then he found himself a servant to those who live there. And I just can't escape the parallels between Joseph the dreamer and our neighbors who are dreamers. I think it's difficult um, as a white person um, talking about myself in America, to fully understand Joseph's plight. Um, he was unable to stay where he was, and his condition was unfolding not as a series of bad choices that he had made, but nevertheless, they were where he was starting. It was his story. It was He started out here. This story of oppression, of unfair treatment, and of exile... I don't fully understand that kind of exile. 
Um, Caleb and I and Kevin and Chelsea, last Sunday, were invited uh, down the street to the five-year celebration of Nueva Vida Presbyterian Church on East Thompson Lane. They had invited us as well as other pastors in the neighborhood to come and join them for the celebration where they were celebrating five years as a church. And as we got there and as we received their hospitality and their connection, we were sort of bonded by the way our children played together and also that we had just celebrated nine years as a church earlier that day. And so as we were talking and as we were receiving this hospitality and their tamales, which were delicious, um, you know, it was like this sweet fellowship at Christ's table. But we heard that there were people missing. And the leadership of the church started to tell us about how in the past year and a half that their church, about half of their church, has felt like it's not safe to come to church anymore. Joseph's path was one of dissent. He had these dreams of this future, these visions of success, but his path looked very off course. He went down three times, and this isn't, I mean, this is not a coincidence, right? He goes down into the pit, and then he goes down to Egypt, and then once again he goes down into the prison. And yet the Lord was with him. And I want you to catch this. Prosperity, favor, Success, blessing, all of those things were attributed to Joseph's life. And the Lord, it's, it's one of the most uh, referenced passages to Yahweh, you know, one of the chapters that most references Yahweh in Genesis. The Lord is with Joseph. And it's like... The Lord's presence was what gave him prosperity. It says near the end, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Now, steadfast love is a really poor tra translation of this. Maybe it's okay, but I never do this, but it's actually the Hebrew word hesed. Can everyone say hesed? Hesed. <laughs> yes. So Hesed is probably one of the like most amazing Hebrew words ever that you should know. If you know any Hebrew words, this is one of the ones you should know. Uh, Hesed is this word that God that is used in the Old Testament constantly to talk about God's covenant faithfulness to the people of God. So this translation says steadfast love. But this is really God's commitment to these people. This word is used in um, Psalm 23. You know where it says, um, uh, Righteousness and love shall follow me all the days of my life? Okay, a better translation of that verse is, 
Um, and the covenant faithfulness of the Lord will violently pursue me all the days of my life. Okay? This is a very strong word. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. God's covenant faithfulness to her children. When was the last time that you thought of blessing and prosperity as something that happens when God is with you and not something that God gives to you? When was the last time you thought of blessing and prosperity as something that happens when the Lord is with you and not something God gives you? I'm going to jump back into our passage from last week for just a second. Genesis 12, 1-3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This covenant faithfulness that God makes with this particular person, Abraham, Abram, at this point, is in order that the entire world be blessed. Blessed to be a blessing. It is not by Abram's will, or Joseph's power, but by God's covenant faithfulness. Prosperity is the ability to see God's blessing in the depressing. And I'm afraid, y'all, that we have found other gods besides Yahweh, the Lord revealed in our scriptures. In striving for the perfect life and the perfect retirement savings and control over disease and disaster, we have lost track of where God is. God isn't out there in our hopes for the dreams, for our dreams and the future. God is here with us. And that is prosperity. And that is blessing. God is with us when we are in the pit. Can we believe it? Carlo Corretto, um, in his book, I, Francis, wrote, When I thought about the poor that I had met in my life, especially in recent years, it was clear that there were poor who were only poor. Very sad, often angry, and certainly not blessed. And then again, I recalled very well that there were poor people who were quite otherwise. Poor people who wore their poverty beautifully. Poor people who had the conviction that they were being guided by God, supported by his presence. Poor people who were able to love in spite of their sudden vexations. Poor people who were patient in trial, rich in hope, strong in adversity. Poor people who were blessed because they could bear witness 
every day that God was present in their lives. And that he provided for them as he did for the sparrows in the sky, which possessed no granaries. Yes, this captivated me. Blessing, prosperity, success, favor. We have it. But the story doesn't stop there. Abram was blessed to be a blessing, and Joseph brought prosperity to the places where he was imprisoned. Joseph, though imprisoned, sold, handed over, he was about his work, and the narrator of this story sees the Lord in all of these places in the midst of it. I mean, just look at how many times he circled the Lord. The narrator sees God everywhere. Joseph used what was in his hands, which was not much, right? Slavery, imprisonment, poverty, betrayal, to bless those around him. Blessed to be a blessing starts as a perspective and a belief that we are pre-blessed. Do you think that what you do with what is in your hands does not matter to God? Do you think that God put what's in your hands there for you? Because I think the subtle, the subtle thing that I, the subtle thing about all of this that I'll just make super clear is this: that things don't bless. Things don't bless. We are pre-blessed because God is with us. And as offensive as it sounds, that God is with this situation. As offensive as it is for the God of all to be present with a person, with you. That's what this is talking about. And using what our hands, and what is in our hands is to be used to bless the world. So, do you have a savings account because you need it? Or because God needs it? Do you stockpile privilege because you need it? Or because God needs it? Do you uh, practice disciplines and learn skills because you need it? Or because God needs it? Prosperity is not what you have, but who has you? Now, I want you to walk, I have a little video for you in closing, and it's a little bit of comment really here. Um, of all the kind of depressing parts of my week, this has been kind of this miniature highlight. Me and Story have been watching this video a lot this week. Story loves this video. And uh, I think there's something really good about it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you all watch it, and then I'll close up.
amazing compassion, lover of our wayward race, you bring to birth a pilgrim people and call us to be a blessing for ourselves and all the world. We pray for grace to take your generous gift and step with courage on this holy path, confident in the radiant life that is your plan for us. May known and given in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.